Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. likely man uh okay so woke up this morning and everything is on fire you know it's it's uh may the 8th 2019 it's 9 40 a.m central daylight t- time and this is episode 94 of bitcoin and and like i said everything's on fire man i woke up and it was just like this small smoldering battlefield. So hence the apocalypse now reference at the head of the show. I, I couldn't help myself, man. I mean, because that's what this is. It's just this sprawling dumpster fire of, of idiocy all over the place. So it, if you know, I'm referencing clearly the Binance uh, dumpster fire and it is a dumpster fire, man. It's, you know, a hack of 7,000 BTC off of Binance. And, and it's not like we haven't been warning you guys forever. Don't keep your coins on an exchange. And Binance turns out it wasn't any more safe than Quadriga CX. But, you know, at least the CEO didn't, you know, die or whatever happened to Gerald Cotton. And I, but what, what did happen with the CEO of Binance is that, uh, he made a, he really put his foot in his mouth in a big, big way, but we're going to get into other things because everybody is going to be talking about the Binance thing for weeks. And, and, you know, and because of that Bitfinex gets to take a little breather and so does Tether, uh, <laughs> because bombs just keep dropping all over the place. Just, just cause you find yourself in one uh, in one foxhole or, or, or bomb crater doesn't mean that you're safe because it's just raining from the sky. But, uh, there are other things did happen yesterday. They certainly did. And they're still just as important today as they were, you know, when they actually occurred. So let's, let's get into some of this stuff. I got a big lulls off of a coin desk, uh, Yogita Khatri on May the 7th, 2019, uh, wrote this thing up and it's the, the article is predatory bots exploiting decentralized crypto exchanges report. <gasps> Arbitrage bots are exploiting inefficiencies in decentralized exchanges. According to a report citing recent research from Cornell tech Homeland security newswire. And this is the lulls. The fact that it's coming out of Homeland security newswire uh, said on Monday that such cryptocurrency platforms are being used by predatory users to profit from everyday trades, quote, siphoning millions or possibly billions of dollars a year in cryptocurrency. Yeah, they're kind of taking words out of the report out of context. There's already a couple of people that have said, no, 
It's like, it's not, when you say billions, the fact that it's 6 billion doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, using billions in quotes is, is ethical. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ethical reporting. You should have actually said the actual number because you say billions and it could be tens, twenties, hundreds of billions. No, it's 6 billion. Okay. But it's like, you're just, you're just now figuring this one out. Really? Because of course this is going to happen. Of course this is going to happen. Any, uh, anyway, <clears throat> in some cases, high fees are paid to prioritize certain transactions, posing a security threat to entire blockchains, the piece said. According to the article, like high-frequency traders on Wall Street, these bots exploit inefficiencies in DEXs, paying high transaction fees and optimizing network latency to front-run, i.e. anticipate and exploit ordinary users' DEX trades. Of course this is going to happen, people. This is not. This should not come as a surprise. I, if a system can be gamed, and human beings are anywhere near that, it's gonna get gamed. I'm sorry, but that's just the, that's just the nature of the beast. Is it ethical? No, of course not. Would I hang out with guys that, that said that they did this all the time? No, but. I'm not going to tell them to stop either. I'm just not going to freaking hang out with them. And this is also why one of the reasons why I don't trade this is all, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all just, it's all just gained, you know, and the, the guys that win, Hey, good for them. Lambo on bro. But uh, you know, for the, for the, the, the little guys, yeah, just, just buy Bitcoin. It, it, you could, you could circum circumvent a whole ton of the, of what's coming next by simply just buying Bitcoin. So the researchers spent 18 months tracking trades on six unnamed decentralized exchanges and found bots were exploiting time delays on these exchanges to make trades faster than is possible by human users. Study author Philip Dean, a doctoral student in computer science at Cornell Tech, said that in a traditional system, users have a broker or someone they are trading through and have a relationship based on trust. In a decentralized system, however, the broker is replaced by blockchain tech, quote, which seems like a trusted third party, but in reality, there are a lot of different moving parts in the blockchain that can be manipulated, i.e. gamed. So you have to be very careful about what the blockchain is actually giving you. Mm. I'd comment, but I... uh. Dean or Dayan further said that cryptocurrency miners have a tremendous amount of power being able to accept higher fees to prioritize certain trades, making the entire system vulnerable, or they may even rewrite blockchain history to steal funds already allocated by smart contracts. It's worth noting that to do so, miners would need to control the majority of a blockchain network's hashing power, a so-called 51% attack, which brings it with great which brings with it great cost. Depends on the chain, man. However, such attacks have become more common in the last year. The study adds that such arbitrage tactics may also be used on centralized exchanges, which is likely a quote unquote billion dollar issue. Uh the, oh, oh, okay, okay, they, they have corrected this. There is a correction here, apparently as of sometime today. This article previously attributed the news to the United States Department of Homeland Security. This was erroneous and has been corrected. So, yeah, they've changed it from the Department of Homeland Security to, where was it, the Homeland Security Newswire and I'm just going to go, you know, make, see exactly where that is. Homeland, yeah, Homeland Security Newswire is just like, it seems like it's just, you know, oh, just a, a, a non-affiliated with Homeland Security. But every time, I, every time I see Homeland Security, man, I just, I just kind of start rolling my eyes, man. Because, I mean, I was fully, you know, fully awake when 9-11 occurred and then in 2011 we get Homeland Security and I just saw what it did to just air travel alone. It used to be fun. I've said it before on this show. It, flying used to be a lot of fun. For those of you guys who didn't fly in an airplane before 9-11, uh, it used to be a whole bunch of fun. Airports were, I, when I was a kid, airports were a blast. You know, it was, it felt like an adventure, but now that's 
all of that is gone. All, you know, for any of you that remember going and picking your grandma up at the airport uh, and actually being able to be at the gate as she gets off the plane. Okay. That's how far back I'm talking. You used to be able to go into the terminal as no, as somebody who's not traveling and greet your loved ones as they got off the plane. Now you got to do it at the baggage claim. Uh, every things just, everybody just humans just have a tendency to mess shit up, man. Uh, let's see what's up here. Tether, Bitfinex, stay afloat amid controversy. This is out of Coin Telegraph. Uh, Gareth Jenkinson, he is writing this when we you know, made the seventh, twenty nineteen. Tether has been one of the most controversial topics in the cryptocurrency community over the last two years, and things have come to a head over the past few weeks. Duh. The wider crypto community has been skeptical of the stablecoin and its claims that it was operating operating legitimately due to concerns around its reserve policy. Stablecoins are centralized cryptocurrencies that are typically pegged to a fiat currency like the United States dollar or valuable commodities like oil or gold. Tether claimed to be backed by the U.S. dollar at a one-to-one ratio. For the last two years, industry critics have speculated that Tether did not have the necessary cash reserves in its bank account to back the amount of USDT in circulation. Those claims have finally been validated by Tether itself as a result of an ongoing legal battle involving cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex, which shares personal and ownership structures with Tether and the Office of the New York Attorney Oh, and the Office of the New York Attorney General. Tether's journey began back in 2015 with its rebranding from RealCoin. It was founded by Brock Pierce, the director of the Bitcoin Foundation, with the help of software engineer Craig Sellers and entrepreneur Reeve Collins. Tether aimed to provide a true stablecoin platform for the crypto community with a utility token that was backed by the U.S. dollar at a one-to-one ratio with all the benefits of traditional blockchain technology. The cryptocurrency was built and is operated using an omni-layer platform on the Bitcoin protocol. This allows anyone to see we- uh, uh, to see whenever Tether tokens are issued, which has played a big role in the focus on the stablecoin in the past 24 months. Tether has had an association with Bitfinex since 2015. With the <clears throat> when the exchange integrated the cryptocurrency operation into its exchange, the two companies are operated by parent company Ifinex. Tether's website shows that the two companies share the same leadership with J.L. Vanderveld listed as the CEO of both companies. Giancarlo Devasini. Yeah. Devasini. Yeah. Deva. Yeah. Devasini is the chief financial operator of both Tether and Bitfinex. Critics started raising concerns about Tether and Bitfinex's connection and operations toward the end of 2017 as Bitcoin rallied during its famous bull run. To allay these fears, Tether employed Friedman LLP to conduct a short review of its account in September 2017. The unofficial audit was met with further criticism by the crypto community. Not all. Not not, not everybody was critical, guys. All right, so. And an eventual subpoena from the Commodity Future Trading Commission in December 2017 put the pressure back on the company. Tether got Friedman back on board to conduct a full third-party audit of its accounts this time around, but less than a month into the process, the party split, with Tether claiming that the auditors were taking too long to carry out the job. The crypto community never got a third-party audit from Tether, which could have allayed concerns considerably. Fast forward to April 2019, an investigation started in in 2018 into Ifinex, Bitfinex, and Tether was revealed by the Office of the New York Attorney General in 2019. The OAG alleged alleged that Bitfinex had lost $850 million U.S. of funds needed for user redemptions and borrowed money from Tether's cash reserves to plug the gap. Attorney General Letitia James announced the court filing that alleged that Bitfinex had then used $850 million U.S. from Tether's reserves to cover a shortfall due to funds of its payment processor, Crypto Capital Corp., being seized in several different countries. Quote, our investigation has determined that the operators of the Bitfinex trading platform, who also control the Tether virtual currency, have engaged in a cover-up to hide the apparent loss of $850 million of commingled client and corporate funds. 
New York State has led the way in requiring virtual currency businesses to operate according to the law, and we will continue to stand up for investors and seek justice on their behalf when misled or cheated by any of these companies. The OAG wants the companies to stop using or spending the U.S. dollars that came from Tether's reserves. It is also requesting the companies produce documents and information related to the ongoing investigation. However, the OAG is looking to obtain an injunction that will compel Bitfinex and Tether to continue their operations to ensure the stability of the crypto markets and protect its customers. The Martin Act affords the Attorney General of New York extensive law enforcement powers to investigate issues relating to securities fraud as well as bringing criminal charges towards those responsible for alleged violations of the act. Tether and Bitfinex have not hesitated to tackle the New York OAG and its intended course of action against them. The companies responded to the allegations brought forward by the OAG last week, claiming court filings were, quote, riddled with false assertions. They continued, quote, the New York Attorney General's Court filings were written in bad faith and are riddled with false assertions according to a purported $850 million loss at Crypto Capital. On the contrary, we have been informed that these Crypto Capital amounts are not lost but have been, in fact, seized and safeguarded. I still don't know what the hell that means. We are and have been actively working to exercise our rights and remedies and get those funds released. End quote. Both parties are insistent that the OAG has overstepped the mark and that its court filings could ultimately harm its customers. However, Tether's appeal has revealed a fact that has long been feared by critics. The legal documents from Tether show that it only has 74% of cash reserves in its bank account to back circulating Tether tokens. This finally proves that Tether is not fully collateralized by cash equivalents as it has claim, as it had claimed for an extended period of time. Its lawyers also directly liken their operation to that of a fractional reserve arrangement commonly used by commercial banks. This is at odds with information Cointelegraph was given by Tether two months ago. In March, Cointelegraph had contacted Tether for comment on a change to its website that indicated that Tether tokens were no longer backed by only cash, but by cash equivalents as well. According to the change, that would include other assets and receivables from loans made by Tether to third parties, which may include affiliated entries, collectively reserves. Stuart Hogner, or Hogner, general counsel at Tether, told Cointelegraph that it was not running a fractional reserve and that it was able to handle all redemption requests for USDT. Quote, Tether is not operating a fractional reserve. It does not have a banking business lending out reserve amounts to retail customers. Tether's reserves remain and have always been 100% backed by its reserves. Tether maintains the ability to honor all redemption requests. End quote. <clears throat> this week, parent company Ifinex filed court papers in an effort to vacate the OAG's court order the company claims that the OAG's injunction is based on incorrect facts and wrong legal standard. Ifinex argues that the OAG did not provide substantial evidence for its claim that Tether qualifies as securities or commodities covered by the Martin Act. Furthermore, the company believes that the Attorney General cannot prove that an injunction is fully appropriate. The company further argues that the OAG's injunction is hugely disruptive to both Tether and Bitfinex's operations because it freezes the use of $2 billion U.S. of Tether's reserves, which could be used for further investment. Ifinex believes that Tether was transparent with users and investors about its reserves and the possibility that those reserves could be loaned out to affiliate businesses like Bitfinex. Quote, the undisputed facts show that there was no ongoing fraud and no victims in need of, drastic, of the drastic remedy of an injunction to protect them. Specifically, there is no dispute that Tether disclosed that its reserves could consist of loans to affiliates and did so before the line of credit transaction, the attorney general challenges. Despite all the activity over the last two weeks, Tether is still trading at a one-to-one -one ratio with the United States dollar with a market cap of over $2.7 billion U.S., according to data from CoinMarketCap. It should be noted that on May the 6th, CoinMarketCap had excluded Bitfinex trading from its global average Bitcoin price due to the cryptocurrency's $300 premium on its exchange. While controversy surrounds both companies, Bitfinex is reportedly on the cusp of launching its very own native token in an ambitious launch. 
According to the initial reports, Bitfinex shareholder Zhao Dong has re- revealed details of a $1 billion U.S. initial exchange, off- uh, initial exchange offering for the native token launch. This was followed by the release of a promotional document by Dong on Twitter that outlines the plans for the IEO. It is reported that the IEO will include a total supply of 1 billion tokens dubbed LEO. Oh, God. Tokens will be priced at $1 each, but investors will be required to put forward a minimum buy of $1 million. Wow. God dang, that's a hell of a package. <clears throat> it is understood that more... Th- it is understood that more that investors, okay, that's a typo, sorry guys, have expressed interest in 500 million in tokens already. Reports also claim that only qualified foreign investors will be permitted to make investments and a soft commitment to the IEO by May 5th. Okay, so that's already passed. Prospective investors will be given the chance to review the tokens white paper before either confirming or canceling their soft commitment. If they wish to continue with their involvement, a 10% deposit will be required. Jeez. According to the marketing material released by Dong on Twitter, U.S. citizens and a number of other jurisdictions listed by the Financial Action Task Force will not be able to participate in the token sale. Leo token holders will reportedly benefit from reduced crypto-to-crypto trading fees on Bitfinex's exchange as well as iFinex's decentralized exchange, EOSFinex. Oh, God. The token is being likened to Binance's native BNB token. Cointelegraph has reached out to Tether's general counsel, Stuart Hogner, for comment in relation to the ongoing disputes between these parties and the OAG. As it stands, both companies seem to be continuing with their operations, and the OAG has made it clear that it does not wish to harm investors and customers of Tether and Bitfinex during its investigation. With an in-depth investigation underway, details may be few and far between, but this story will be one to keep an eye on in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of agree. Now, all that said, I don't hate Tether. I don't really understand. I don't understand stablecoins use case. That's just pure ignorance. That and and I get the feeling that that ignorance comes from the fact that I don't trade. I don't need to move out of Bitcoin. If I did need to move out of Bitcoin, I would just sell it. I would just market sell and get cash. But I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying not to get rid of my Bitcoin, right? I'm, I, I, I have a little bit of Bitcoin. I'd like, I, I keep some on a, on a hardware wallet. I'd, I'd like to put more in there and that's where you guys come in. No, seriously though. Um, and I, I get the feeling, and I, I don't like I. I want to read you guys the news. So, like, if you're driving to work or whatever, or you know, do washing dishes, you know, that you can that you don't have to be locked to your computer screen. And but you know, sometimes I, I wonder. I'm like, going, well, if I'm reading a tether story, am I contributing to the fud? And I think you know, I think I kind of am. But I mean, it's it's news. So here's the way that I'm I'm gonna. Kind of couch this from now on. I don't have anything against Bitfinex, and I don't have anything against Tether. It does look like some shady shits going on, but come on, man, we're in the crypto space. Where is shady shit not going on? There's shady shit everywhere. This is the wild west, man. It's what makes it so freaking interesting. If it wasn't like this, it'd be boring, and I would probably be interested in something completely different. But that's not the way this. That's not the way this works. The way this works is we are swimming in a sea and the honest people have most of their body below the water and their head above the water. Those are your honest people. Then you got sharks that are basically never come up to surface and you never can see them and they'll rip your feet right off your body if you're not careful. All right. There's also all manner of other critters in this ocean with us. And as the honest people try to swim around, you know, we got to really be careful. We got to be careful of everything. And really, I think a healthy distrust for damn near everything is kind of in order. Now, again, that said, I want to go back to my statement. I don't hate Bitfinex and I don't hate Tether because I don't use them. I mean, I don't use American. What am I trying to say? There's lots of products I don't use, but it doesn't mean that I hate the company. I don't have a Tesla, but I don't hate Tesla but it looks like there's some shady shit going on there. I mean, come on. It's just, that's just the way it is. So, um, 
I am going to try to reach out to a couple of fellow Bitcoiners that know a shit ton more about what a stable coin is and, and its use case and see if I can't get an interview with, with somebody that really understands what the use cases for a stable coin is and maybe a little bit more on the history of Tether. And, you know, maybe that'll be, you know, one of the first interviews that I conduct. I mean, I am coming up on a hundred shows and I haven't done an interview yet. So at one point or another, that, that shit's going to have to change too. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to make, I wanted to make sure that you guys know that I'm not for, nor am I against either Bitfinex or Tether. I will say this though, if you're using that, that USDC coin from Coinbase, GFY. <laughs> okay. So what's up? In, uh, what's next in the stack here? Uh, do, do, oh, BTC pay server has an announcement. It's really cool. Uh, BTC pay server 1.0.3.95 released invoice improvements, UTF support, Bitcoin full node connect to mobile via QR code, external storage support, and more. Awesome. Uh, this was uh, released on May the 7th. We've been silent for a while, but with good reason. Today, we're releasing a big update to BTC Pay Server, a brand new release, V10395. 10395 includes lots of new, excuse me, new features, bug fixes, and user experience improvements. So let's let's get into the, what they're doing here. During the We Are Hodelnot crowdfunding, we identified several UX UI problems with our invoice page. The, this release includes notable changes which should help users with invoice management and interaction. The following changes should help users, especially with those with a large volume of invoices in real time to manage their incoming invoices easier and identify those that require further action. So bullet points, uh, responsive status change, color labeling invoice stat, uh, quickly expandable invoice details, filtering by date. Nice. Nice. Uh, UTF support added. One of the oldest issues we've had on our GitHub is now closed. Thanks to our contributor, Mr. Cucks, M-R, that's at M-R-K-U-K-K-S. You can now enhance the security of your account by enabling universal second factor or U2F. U2F allows users to further enhance the security of their accounts by physically confirming the authentication via a U2F compliant device. Please understand that U2F protocol is not supported by all browsers. We've conducted tests with several well-known U2F devices and compatible hardware wallets in Chrome, Firefox, and Opera. To enable U2F on your BTC Pay account, go to the account page and then the U2F tab, plug in your U2F device or hardware wallet and press the appropriate button on your device when prompted. Ledger hardware wallet users need to install U2F app to make sure and make sure to open it <clears throat> to enable U2F. Since the protocol is still hard for mobile devices, if you often access your BTC Pay server via a mobile device, we recommend that you have both U, uh, 2FA and U2F enabled so that you can log in with the most suitable option and avoid getting locked out. External storage service support. Nice. We've listened to the feedback and implemented a storage services in BTC Pay. You no longer have to add your images and files to IMGER. Or I, always, I have always pronounced it IMGER. Sorry, it's Imgur and other websites to show them in BTC Pay. You can also temporarily, uh, you can also set up temporary expirable links for files, which we plan to merge into our apps so that content creators can sell music, images, and videos through BTC Pay without having to use a CMS like WordPress. God, th those guys are kicking ass. This is so cool. The most important future use case for external sto storage service will be Lightning Network static channel backups and the backup of the entire BTC Pay server. Internal wallet improvements. Nicholas Dollier continues to improve and refactor the internal BTC Pay wallet, which allows users to use hardware wallets with their full nodes for maximum security and privacy. Some of the changes are preparation for the partially signed Bitcoin transaction support that's coming very soon to BTC Pay. Changes to the wallet include full node P2P support allows you to connect wallets that support new Bitcoin P2P links, Blockstream's green wallet. 
to your full BTC pay note if you're using Tor hidden service and avoid leaking information to third-party servers. To connect, enable Tor and scan the QR code from a supported mobile wallet. Wallet rescan. Remove limitation reserved for SegWit only. PSBT will come to the rescue. Wallet transaction list can show either relative date or absolute date of transactions. Various bug fixes and UX improvements. Header menu, use icons for profile, sign in and sign out instead of text. Uh, fix coin switch exchange with altcoin pop-up not showing bug fix. Fix store email password not saving. Show warnings on apps if emails not are not complete. Fix date time issues on crowdfund payment request. Various grammar fixes, known issues, Ledger Wallet not working on Chrome. The fix is coming in the next Ledger app update soon. And then a serious thank you to the contributors, uh, Armitasaurus. I'm not even going to do this because everybody's name is like, like, ridiculously hard to, to, to say. But Nicholas is in there. Pavlinex is in there. Rockstar Dev is in there. Uh, Brit with a bunch of T's, K, Mr. Cux, and a whole bunch of other people that have been working their asses off on this. And we would like to, <laughs> I would like to say thank you to all of you for doing that. And what I think is really wonderful is they reference the We Are Hodel or Not uh, uh, legal funds raising that was done uh, put forth by uh, Elizabeth Stark at Starkness on Twitter. Um, that expires. I'm probably going to say this a couple of times during the show, that legal fund, that BT, that BTC pay, uh, legal fund at we are all hodl expires. I think tomorrow, uh, you, today is the last day. Uh, there may be some time tomorrow, but if you want to give to uh hodl defense fund against that idiot, Craig, please do it today. Or as soon as you can, as, as soon as you can, because that thing's coming to an end and it, as of yesterday, it was like 32,111 bucks. So I've flipped him another 50, uh, 50 bucks, uh, through my cash app. Thank you, Jack. So anyway, uh, do, do what else is up here? Um, uh, Oh, it's, it's a tweet that I wrote. Um, and this is gonna, this goes out to bass underscore O two. Thank you so much for, um, sending me or, or, or buying me the Bitcoin rabbis book. Um, and uh, what am I going to say about this? I don't have the book yet, so I can't review it for you. Um, I will review it for you. Um, and I, I look forward to reading it with my kids. I also kind of look forward because I am not Jewish and this book is uh, touches on Jewish law. Uh, you know, uh, like we're talking like, you know, ancient, ancient stuff and how it is that in the Bitcoin rabbi's view, Bitcoin is kosher, which is very important in the Jewish faith. Uh, if it's not kosher, you kind of don't do it or you don't use it and you don't eat it or whatever. Um, but in, you know, and Bitcoin rabbis are real rabbi guys. He's not just, it's not just a handle and he's not, I don't, you know, he's not lying. He's, he's an actual rabbi rabbi. So he had to study, uh, like, uh, how, seminary, whatnot, you know, and I don't, they probably, I don't know if they call it seminary. I don't think they do, but for Christian priests, if you're going to be an ordained minister in a Christian faith, you got to go to seminary. It's like two, three years. It's like college. Uh, but Bitcoin rabbi is real rabbi. And in, in the way he looks at Bitcoin is that there's nothing about it that isn't, you know, it, that it's, it's kosher money. So, but what did I, what I want to say about this is the user experience I had with BTC pay server, um, and the Bitcoin rabbis, uh, you know, book sale and the fact that bass underscore O two, uh, had like, I think he had an extra copy or I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I think he got like somehow or another, like won some books or something like that. And he gave a couple of them out. And then he contacted me and asked me if I wanted one. And I'm like, hell yes, I want one. But it was the it was the UX, right? So here here's the deal. I get a direct message from Bass. Bass says, "Hey, I got an extra book from Bitcoin Rabbi. Do you want it?" I say, "Hell yes." He goes, "Okay, go to the website. Gives me the link. I go to the website. I put in all my shipping information because even then, it's like I you know I like Bass, you know, and I met I met Bass through uh, the whole Hodel or not 
uh, LN trust chain and then, and then the resulting CSW meltdown. Um, and you know, we don't, you know, I, I don't think he lives in the United States, so we certainly don't, don't go out and drink beer together or anything like that. But, you know, I found him to be that whole crew that, uh, that kind of coalesced around the, the whole hotel and and Nell and trust chain. Uh, I found all of those people to be really high quality people. But even then I was like going, I, I don't know, man, do I really want to give Bass my home address? I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask anybody for their home address. And he was immediately, I didn't even ask him that. He, he, I guess he was reading my mind or we all just understand each other in this space. And he's like, look, man, here's the way this is going to work. You go to the Bitcoin rabbi's website and you put in your shipping information there. He's like, and then use the BTC pay server option and then send me the QR code. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So I, I screenshot the QR code. I do the order, get the, the, the uh, QR code, screenshot it, direct message it back to Bass, go back to the Bitcoin Rabbi's website and looking at the, at the pending invoice. And then all of a sudden it changes paid. The invoice has been paid. So here's the tweet that I wrote about it. I know this is not a big wow factor here, but I think it's important to note the the user experience of ordering an item, screen capping the invoice and sending the pick to someone else and watching the invoice get paid from halfway around the world. It is mind blowing to me. It absolutely is. I've been in this space for long enough that that shouldn't surprise me. That shit really shouldn't surprise me, but I'm fighting against a lifetime of not being able to do stuff like this. And I, and I think in a, in a very real way, there, there are, most places you still can't do shit like that. I, I, I don't even know how many steps I would have to go through to like call my sister and say, okay, uh, pay, like I've got everything ready on my Amazon account and I'm about to pull the trigger to buy it. You buy it for me. And then she's got to log in and do a bunch of stuff. And this was me sending a QR code as a direct message through freaking Twitter. And now the Bitcoin rabbi's book is on its way to me. And I'm like, it's just, it's just totally cool. The BTC pay server. If you haven't looked into it, you guys got to look into it. And with this new release and with the upcoming release, the, the way that they're just making it better and better and better, we just may be able to forget about all manner of third party platforms that are in this weird thing about delisting everybody because they get butt hurt. So, uh, speaking of butt hurt, this was written by CZ Binance hours before, I mean, literally a couple of hours before the hack. And he says, CSW is picking on the people who have a hard time fronting their legal fees. How about we do a Binance BCF charity program to raise money from the community for legal fees for anyone CSW sues and CZ's getting, you know, of course he's getting burned at the stake this morning, which I don't, I don't know. I, we'll get into that later. Um, I don't think he really deserves the, the treatment, but I also think there, there's a time when CEOs really should maybe not say things in either event. He's getting kind of like, there are people cheering for this and there are people that are, you know, kind of hating on him for this. And, you know, I, I'm like, my whole deal is that, um, my whole thing about that is even if it is in this, in his BNB coin and like whatnot, I kind of don't care because at least the community's got a rally point against one of the most noxious single point attack vectors that the, the crypto space has ever seen. Craig is, I don't think he's dangerous anymore because I think he's going to get his ass handed to him by judge Reinhardt or whatever his name is. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's odd because even if he, even if he does lose this thing and it becomes clear that he's not able to produce any of the documentation that judge Reinhardt asked for, which I don't think he will be able to produce, but let's say it, it goes that way and he can't produce anything. And then the, I don't know what Reinhardt's going to do. Maybe just dismiss the case altogether. But it will be like the fourth time Craig's done this shit. And this would be the highest, one of the higher profile ones um, and still can't prove he's Satoshi. Do you think he's going to stop? No, he's not. He's not going to stop. The dude's like the Black Plague. 
He's always going to be there in the corners. He's always going to be lurking around the shadows, man. So I kind of like the idea of CZ Binance, you know, doing this because I mean, I had a lawyer work on something for me, uh, had to clear up a legal, uh, it was just a, um, a paperwork legal issue that I needed to clear up before I could, uh, sell a house. And it was real small. It took, it took him like, I think I got the bill and it was like 1.15 billable hours. And it was still 750 bucks. The dude's charging like 600 bucks an hour, 600 bucks an hour. He's good. He's a good lawyer. And it would have taken somebody else that got half the pay probably twice as long. So it would have cost me the, you know, that much in the end. But if you think about 600 to 750 bucks an hour and look at how much the, uh, we are hodling not, uh, raised, uh, $32,000 is going to get him about 35 hours of, of legal time at 600 bucks an hour. I have, uh, the math is probably wrong, but you get my drift. Wow. It's like $32,000. Have you seen the cost of lawyers lately? That's why I flipped them another 50 bucks. You know, I'm, I'm in for a hundred on, on the space cat, you know, and I'm, I wish I could do more. I really do. And, or I wish lawyers would charge less. I don't know what, whatever. Anyway, for the guys that are like just crawling all up and down CZ Binance for doing this, just stop because this, this kind of adds to our own immunity as a, as a community and as a, a, you know, an industry that is still fledgling, but is growing. But as it grows, it's susceptible to sickness, like, 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 uh, like fraud, right. Um, he's a disease and there's going to be other diseases and we kind of need this kind of stuff. So, uh, if you feel like donating, uh, go to, uh, like just Google CZ Binance and Craig ride. And I'm sure you'll end up with, uh, with this tweet and then he'll show you where to go. Uh, WeChat bans Bitcoin. <laughs> CCN.com has, um, let's see. Who is this? Steven Buchko on the 7th. Okay, so yesterday, 2019. Always the optimist Binance CEO CZ Zhao sees a silver lining in the wake of WeChat's recent ban on crypto trading activities. According to a tweet today by Dovey Wan, or Wan, founding partner of Primitive Ventures, the Chinese social media company released an updated payment policy which states that it will terminate merchant accounts that participate in cryptocurrency transactions. In her tweet, Wan argues that most of China's over-the-counter uh, cryptocurrency trades occur on WeChat, so the ban could have significant effects on the local market. Um, but CZ, okay, I'm going to, this is uh, a tweet in the middle of the story. CZ here, Binance is, is responding to Dovey's tweet, says, this is classic example of short-term pain, long-term gain. It is inconvenient for people short term and they take a hit. But long term, it is precisely this type of restriction of freedom that will push people to use crypto. Not a bad thing. This ban isn't the first time that WeChat has taken action against cryptocurrency transactions. Last, uh, last August, WeChat Pay began restricting users from transacting crypto transacting cryptocurrency-related funds on the platform. Both moves are in line with China's continuous crackdown on cryptocurrency and associated activities. Just last month, the Chinese government released a report describing plans to put an end to Bitcoin mining in the country. The China FUD. It's always China. Although the ban will obviously have some negative short-term implications on China's crypto market, CZ applauds the move as a positive for the industry. Again, not a bad thing. With WeChat and other payment apps continuing to expand restrictions and impose bans, he assumes more people will flock to cryptocurrency in response. More people aren't going to begin using cryptocurrency because WeChat banned it on its platform. Although CZ doesn't provide too much of an explanation, it seems as if he's comparing this ban to other types of censorship. When Dave Rubin left Patreon due to censorship disagreements, he turned to cryptocurrency as a censorship-free funding alternative. The same reasoning should hold for WeChat, right? Uh, 
Wrong. The ban only affects merchants who are working on a plan to work with cryptocurrency. Those without cryptocurrency won't feel a sudden urge to buy some because the ban doesn't affect their life. Contrary to what CZ says, WeChat has become a major roadblock for more than 1 billion people who could potentially be more involved with cryptocurrency. Any restriction of freedom is a bad thing, whether or not it helps the crypto cause. We shouldn't be rooting for adverse events to push adoption forward. Even though CZ's heart is in the right place, his views on the WeChat ban are greatly misplaced. And I feel bad. It's like I'm ended up dumping on CZ, but... That's just because CZ was in the news a lot yesterday, a lot, even before the hack. So don't, don't, don't blame me. Uh, what's up in my stack? Oh yeah. The, uh, uh again, another PSA, the, we are all hoodlanot.com campaign is in its last day. Again, if you want to support the space cat, this is the last day to do it. Uh, let's see. Next thing up is. Hold on. And so again, from CCN.com, Bitcoin fees skyrocket 250% as transaction volume nears 2017 peak. <clears throat> uh, research in the latest issue of Dyer reveals that Bitcoin transaction fees skyrocketed 250% in April as BTC blocks grew nearly as full as they were during December 2017, when the Bitcoin price peaked at just under 20 grand. Uh, SegWit usage drops average fees significantly. Uh, this is kind of, this article's a little weird about, oh my God, fees. And then, oh my God, SegWit made it all better. So I'm going, let's go with the second part. SegWit makes it all better. Fees were much lower than at that time because SegWit usage has steadily increased in the intervening months. Quote, on-chain volume still heavily used for ramping on and off exchanges has been the main culprit as traders look for an opportunity with the price of Bitcoin rising 43% during April, resulting in full blocks. But SegWit, the scalability solution that addresses the issue, has also hit a high with a percentage of blocks using the mechanism averaging 35%, alleviating fee pressures. 2018 average SegWit usage was only 26% and only 11% at Bitcoin's peak, highlighting the contributed adoption by major players. It's about time, people. Nevertheless, fees did jump 250% month over month, and total Bitcoin miners collected nearly $14 million in fees alone. Segregated witness wallets and services are lowering fees as expected. SegWit usage is reportedly around 35% at this point, with the exception that it will continue to rise, or sorry, with the expectation that it will continue to rise as more and more services look to save money. The higher this figure goes, the more accessible the network becomes. With transactions taking less space, the cost per byte for later, op- later operations can be lower. The result is that the average fee collected for a transaction drops for other users. Increasingly, users are looking for alternative methods to save precious Satoshis, including using Lightning Network. Users who want transactions confirmed faster typically pay a higher fee to have their payment processed sooner. The more people that do this, the higher the average fees go. Dyer estimates that fees will be around about 55% lower than the last time transactions peaked if their volume continues to increase. At the same time, fewer coins are moving. They're just moving more often. Lightning network usage is also growing. According to 1ML, the number of lightning nodes has grown by 5%. One city, Toronto, has more nodes than any other, 107, with a total of more than 1,200 channels. The Lightning Network as a whole has the capacity to transfer more than one BTC in seconds. At the time of writing, the latest block was 575003. A total of 2,500 transactions were sent, collecting fees of over $3,200, making the average transaction cost just over $1.25 U.S., a few transactions paid over $17 in fees, while numerous transactions paid less than $2. Transactions were included with fees as low as $0.50, cents, though these transactions may have waited a while to be confirmed, while still far higher than alternative chains for transferring value, such as Bitcoin Cash. The reduction in fees brought about by scaling technologies is a positive sign for Bitcoin. So there you go. Use your SegWit. Use your SegWit, and that's going to do it for your morning roundup. 
Let's take a look at the vitals. Bitinfocharts.com has Bitcoin's average price at 5917 They are showing the Bitfinex price being the highest at 6120 And it looks like, oh, who's going to be the low guy here? Looks like Simex at 5859 is going to be the low side. Whoa, holy smokes, man. Um, we're back over a hundred billion dollars. Wow. Uh, market cap for Bitcoin looks to be back over a hundred billion dollars at 104. Huh. Okay. Uh, 359,000 transactions over the last 24 hours with an average transaction per hour of 15,000. 1.5 million BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours and 63,000 BTC averaging per hour. Average transaction value is four and a quarter BTC. The median is 0.66 BTC or about 400 bucks, man. Nice. Block time seems normal at 10 minutes and 17 seconds. 0.75 BTC are being rewarded as fees on a per block basis. And the average or the uh, 104 BTC have been taken fees over the last 24 hours. We've lost 3.67% in hash rate, taking us to just over 45, actually 45, just under 46 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit was yesterday to the code. So yeah, apparently no development ever happens on Bitcoin just every day or every other day. Left to right, Ethereum's at 169. Bcash is at 284. Litecoin is at 74, BSV is at 53, Ethereum Classic is at 5 and 3 quarters, Dogecoin is 0.0025, and Dogecoin, man, has only got 24,000 transactions. Guys, you got to do better than that. You got to do better than 24,000 because BSV has 14,000, so you're still smoking them. But Bcash has 52,000, so Doge, come on, guys. Come on, you Doge guys, get... Get, get dojin. Marty's Bent was from yesterday, Tuesday, May the 7th, 2019, issue number 478, BIP Taproot. Well, there it is. The first official Bitcoin improvement proposal that, if approved, would bring Schnorr signatures to Bitcoin, among a number of other potentially great upgrades that, if combined, <clears throat> could help make the network more efficient, a bit more private, and more robust. This is something we've been covering in this rag for quite a while, so it's exciting to finally see a BIP in the wild. This particular BIP from Peter Woola is a package deal of Schnorr, Mast, Taproot, and Graftroot, among other things. On paper, this is a pack. On paper, this is a package deal that would make the 2012 Miami Heat blush. With that being said, now begins the process of trade-off debates, code review, and informing Bitcoin users about the changes and trade-offs that would come if this code is merged. While it is exciting to finally see a BIP for these improvements, I believe it is important to temper our excitement with a healthy dose of skepticism and adversarial thinking. Ideally, all of these proposed changes provide a net benefit in the trade-offs department, do not introduce complexity or bugs into the code base, and are able to be merged in one fell swoop in an attempt to decrease the potential for social friction in the future via more soft force. This would be a perfect world. However, we all know the world isn't perfect, especially when it comes to software. Scrutiny is imperative. Remember, freaks, complacency kills. If this BIP gets churned through the gauntlet and comes out the other side with consensus from Bitcoin users, full node operators, and miners, I believe it will be the most important upgrade in Bitcoin's history up to this point because it takes the biggest leap towards ossification, I have observed to date. I am under the impression that Bitcoin could work as as is into per- perpetuity. It wouldn't be ideal, but it would work. If the perceived efficiency, privacy, and robustness gains from the above BIP were to come to fruition, I believe Bitcoin would be at a point where we would be tightening screws instead of replacing parts. Let's see if it makes it through the gauntlet. Final thought, a natural alarm clock is the best alarm clock. Agreed. All right, so I chose today's song AF. 
yesterday, well before the whole Binance thing, but it's even more appropriate to play it now than it was yesterday because this space can just make you crazy sometimes, right? Um, and it's not just that there's so many moving parts, you know, in like what, you know, Marty was, we just were reading in, in Marty's bent, there's so many moving parts in Bitcoin. But I mean, that's just in the code. I mean, now you've got the, you've got the social layer on top of it. You've got the fraudster layer, layer around it. You've got whales swimming around. I mean, the, the ecosystem is is so immense that sometimes I feel like it's like getting lost in Germany.
finally come down to having to do the daily train wrecked, and I don't want to do it because, you know, it's Binance. I mean, did you think it was going to be anything else? It, it can't. It, it, I woke up again to a battlefield filled with smoldering, you know, like a moonscape of death. Just people freaking out. I mean, oh my God. And I thought it was bad last night when the hack happened. I was like, what the hell is going on? Well, what the hell's going on is CZ Binance needs to learn when to not talk because he tweets after spending speaking with various parties, including Jeremy Rubin, Prestwich, BC Makes, Hasufly, Jihan Wu, and others, we decided not to pursue the reorg approach. Stop. Just stop it. You're not, you can't reorg Bitcoin. Best you can do is do what Roger did. Get pissed off and make a fork and try to, you know, find reasons to get people to buy your shitty ass fork coin. And 51% attacks on, uh, you know, to reorg the network is not going to happen. Too expensive, not in anybody's best interest. But what I wonder is why CZ even said this shit. Because, I mean, how do you how do you not know? How do you be in the space as long as CZ has, especially at the capacity that he's operating at, and not understand that anything like that is just going to be a, a train wreck? It is. And it, and it it doesn't get worse, but it keeps on traveling down the down the road because CZ in another tweet yesterday. Of course, this is before the whole reorg crap. So I'm just going to let that smoldering pile be over there. Here's another smoldering pile over here. CZ Binance says also thanks to Coinbase and many other exchanges pledging to block deposits from those addresses. Much appreciated. Also much appreciated the unitedness in our industry to fight hackers and fraud. And what you've just done is give me even more reason to want fungibility. Do, do I like the hacker? No. Or hackers? No. I think they're pieces of garbage. But this kind of shit is dangerous. This, this kind of crap is what gets us, well, back into, back into fiat and a whole bunch of people calling the shots. If this thing is going to work, then that means it works for everybody, even thieves, drug dealers, okay? People and people that aren't bad people, okay? You know, like even like if, if a, like a drug dealer. What if a guy's just selling pot? I, I don't care. Harder drugs like heroin, yeah, is because it's like I, I don't see healthy things coming out of a heroin addiction. Being a pothead, Okay, so you're kind of loopy every once in a while, but it's not life-destroying, okay? In either event, there's all manner of people that, that are on the spectrum from, you know, wearing a bleach-wide hat to a completely crap-filled, black, crusty, dirty hat, and every point in between. And to, to, to take any group of, or to, like, make a subset of any of that group of people, the, the mass of humanity, is wrong. W- We've known this for a long time. You you don't do it because it only results in crap. So this whole thing about blocking these addresses, I'm sorry, I'm I don't I don't think it's a, I don't think it's healthy. I think it's basically like you trusted us with your keys. We screwed up. We'll do what we can to make you whole, but life goes on. The train must go down the tracks. And, you know, Grimy Trades nailed it. I mean, he nailed it. Shit, he nailed it when, back in, God, when was this? The 15th of January, 2019, uh, at Grimy underscore Trades tweets out, if you think at Binance is safe one day, you will wake up crying, to be honest. And he was 100% correct. Because, again, everybody thinks that it's okay to leave your coins on an exchange. Don't do it. Not Coinbase, not not BitMEX, not Binance, not anyone. Always hold your private keys, and which I know it makes it a real pain in the ass for traders, but I got my own thoughts about 
trading and, and why it even exists and, and, you know, it's overall use case and I'm not going to get into it. I don't, I don't, I don't trade. Okay. So I don't give a shit about leaving my coins on an exchange. They're never there because I don't do it. I don't have to worry about any of this crap. Be somebody who doesn't worry about this crap and get your coins into your own control. If it's not your keys, it is not your Bitcoin. All right, Satoshi's treasure, uh, that fifth or that uh, last clue, as far as I know, is still unfound. Um, in uh, Toshi Treasure tweets out six days ago, if the remaining agents are not found soon, they may turn to alternate methods of finding the research material they need and their keys will be returned to the vault. So they may have, uh, they may have uh, outdone themselves a little bit here. Um, and then Sam uh, Samsky's uh, is echoing an idea that, that I, I have not an idea, but is thinking along the same, same uh, lines of thought that I've been thinking of ever since the Satoshi's treasure came out. And Sam, uh, Sam sky says, I wonder how many awesome open source projects will be, will be born because of Satoshi's treasure. Sam, I think it's going to be a lot. And I think it's going to take, I think it's going to take forms that we can't possibly imagine. Again, the future looks a hell of a lot more fun than the past. Terrible joke corner from Bad Joke Cat at Bad Joke Cat on Twitter. What are a plumber's favorite shoes? Clogs. Get it? All right, I'm out. I uh, will see you guys on, uh, I guess, on Friday for show number 95. I got to figure out something to do for, for show number 100. Uh, I have no idea what to do. I'm clueless. <clears throat> maybe maybe that will be the first one that I do an interview on. So I've got a little bit of time to maybe set some something up with the community to find out more about Tether. I really want to do that um, because I, 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 I think if, if, there's a, if there's people out there, if there's a lot of people out there like me, there's a lot of people who don't really know what the hell Tether really is or what a stable coins use case use cases really are, that kind of thing. So I want to I want to get a little bit more clear on on that kind of crap. Um, other than that, the dumpster fires are everywhere. Bombs are falling from everywhere. Uh, Bitcoin doesn't seem to give a shit as usual. Uh, so everything's normal. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.